Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. In 1998, Angela Jarabek was the ninth grade counselor at St. Louis Park High School in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That year, half of the freshman class failed for the fifth year in a row. After talking with the high school principal, Angela learned that this failure rate was a nationwide phenomenon. Knowing that something needed to change, she took action and developed what is now known as the BAR model. BAR stands for Building Assets Reducing Risks. This strengths-based model focuses on the positive, intentional relationships between students and staff, peers and colleagues. Taking a data-driven and comprehensive approach, the BAR model meets the academic, behavioral, social, and emotional needs of all students. Today, we're joined by Angela to learn more about the BAR model and the work that she's doing as the center's executive director. Thanks so much for joining us today, Angela. Thank you for having me. So can you provide us with more background about how the BAR model was created and what's unique about the approach? What is the unique approach there? So I think a a really critical difference of the bar model is it was created in a school. I'll tell you a bit about it. And it's always had an actual evaluation component. So we've always had real-time data showing the effectiveness. So my once again is Angie. And I was a high school counselor in a first-ring suburb right outside Minneapolis. And in 1998, it was the fifth year that half the ninth graders failed a course. Mm -hmm. And I was incredibly discouraged. because obviously students passing their classes is, is an important role and a counselor is feeling responsibility for that. Sure. So I went to the, the principal to say, I think I should resign. I don't feel like I'm getting this job done. He was a great administrator. He said, this isn't about you. This isn't about our school. This is actually the national average, which by the way, it still is about 40 to 50% of ninth graders fail a course of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, I really think you should come up with a new way of doing high school to address this. Well, sometimes when you're young and you're naive and you don't look like that's a hard thing, I'm like, that is a good idea. We should definitely be running high school in a different way. So I developed BAR and BAR stands for building assets, reducing risks. And so it really is in some ways focused on the vantage point that counselors have in schools. So I was always able to see this whole view of the student. And I knew the math teacher was only getting a component of of that student. And I knew that you were really passionate about art and really, you know, talented in English. And even though you weren't performing in science, I knew that you were capable and able to do these things. And the science teacher didn't have that same vantage point. So we really built this model and it's predicated on two pillars. One was data. I needed transparency and data. So that math teacher and science teacher could have that same access point that the counselor did. So I needed quantitative and qualitative data and a way to share that. The second is I needed relationships. I needed positive intentional relationships and that had to of course, be staffed to student, which many talk about. And some talk about student to student to build but I also really believed in staff to staff, that you needed to have those really healthy staff to staff relationships. So you could have the conversation as the English teacher to the science teacher to say, no, she's really doing a ton of work in my class and have that feel trusting and be able to problem solve versus having that be a defensive piece in terms of departments. Mm, So important. 
Yeah. So that was kind of the, the beginning. The other piece that's really been helpful is we always had external evaluators. So we okay. put this model in place and we were able to document within the first year our failure rate was cut in half within, um, for all of our students. And over the next decade, not only was the failure rate continuing to be cut in half, we were having an exponential growth in students of Black, Latinx, and low income taking um, honors courses and really excelling at them, oh. which then put us in a place to um, receive federal funding to do more and more research across the country. But always having those really hard markers of this doesn't just feel right, it's doing the right thing for kids and kids are really excelling at it. Wow. So you mentioned the research component and the Bar Center partners with the American Institutes for Research to study mm -hmm. how this model encourages positive outcomes for students. So can you talk about that research that's been done and, and how those results have translated? Mm -hmm. So I think a, a really kind of critical piece is the work that we are doing is relationship-based. It's data and relationships-based. Our outcomes are math and reading and kind of those hard data markers. So we've always been um, a little unique in terms of our approach. So we're a bit of an SEL approach, but our outcomes are academic. So having AIR be able to accompany us has been really critical because what we've done is within school randomized control trials. So when we went to a school, uh, we were able to say, we wanna randomly assign a group of students to adults that we're gonna coach and train, and the rest of the students are gonna have school as normal. So then if in fact the school wins the basketball championship, or if in fact they have a tragedy, it's occurring to the students you know, at the same community. So you're not gonna be able to say, well, that school had that thing or that school had this thing. So we were within school randomized control trials. So it's a very difficult level of research to be able to do. And we've done 12 of them across the country in a variety of settings. And to be able to show that within that first year, students that are in the model with the teachers being trained in bar, the students not only attend more, and they have fewer discipline issues, but they um, have higher GPAs and do better on standardized test scores in both math and reading. So based on that, we've been in evidence for ESSA five times as both a math strategy, a reading strategy, as well as an SEL strategy, and we've been in the What Works Clearinghouse four times. So I go back to what's unique about BAR. It's homegrown and was developed at a school based on a real need. And it has incredible amounts of rigorous research over the past 20 years. So it's an interesting kind of place to hold in terms mm -hmm. of that much research, as well as it being very, very real in terms mm -hmm. of a school experience. Very cool. Very cool. So there's different strategies that are used. The bar model uses eight different strategies. What's the importance of using all of these strategies cohesively and connecting all the stakeholder, all the stakeholders, including teachers, students, administration, and families. Can you talk a bit about that? Mm -hmm. So I think one of the, the key pieces is we really talk about the word interlocking for the strategies because they need to all be feeding each other because they're not weighted equally. So like one of the strategies is, you know, a whole student approach. Well, it's not like you can not do that. At the same time, there's a family engagement piece and there's professional development. But there are three strategies in particular that I think are really critical in terms of the, su the success that schools are seeing. And one, one is that there is a, um, 
a curricular piece that classroom teachers do with the students once a week. And the, it's actually called the pronoun I, I time. And the goal of that is to build relationships. And the relationships are mutual. So the teacher is not teaching the lesson, they're facilitating the lesson. So an example would be you do a lesson, what's on your plate? And I, as an adult, I'm going to share, I've got two kids, I'm really involved in my church, you know, I like to um, exercise, I'm, um, I share about myself. The students do too. So what happens during that time is, first of all, the adult in the room now has a context. So I'm no longer drawing the same automatic conclusion. So if in fact you didn't turn a math assignment in, I'm not automatically assuming that you just didn't care. I'm going to be like, oh, I think they had a I think she had an event this weekend that she was going to that she referenced. And so I'm going to check on that, that first. Similarly, the student knows who the adult is in a different way and subsequently feels much more comfortable sharing with them because no longer am I just a math teacher. I actually am a person that have other things going on. So there's this I time component, but the other key piece is that feeds the block meeting. So that block meeting is when the group of adults of teachers get together and are talking about the students and the I times is a way to really collect that qualitative data. What is the student's interest? How are we the students showing up in a variety of places? And how can I use the information that I've, I've, I've learned here in a way to be able to make sure that students thriving in that block meeting. We've also put a, a system in place to have help schools be more efficient. So the schools can really come up with a system of saying, our students are going to be um, leveled zero to three. Zero means students thriving. I see nothing. Level one means, boy, Emily's been late a couple times to class. She kind of seems tired. Somebody should check in with her. That means one adult needs to take an action that week and we'll report back to the other adults what happened. Level two means, Emily's been skipping classes. Her grades are going down, changed her group of friends. This now means a group of adults are going to not come up with a plan. So a whole group of teachers is not going to have a plan. Level three is really critical. Level three means we've identified the issue. It has nothing to do with school. There is a housing issue. There is food insecurity. This is not even a very well-meaning math teacher's going to be their wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. Level three means that student's name is going to get referred to risk review, which is another component of BAR, and that's going to bring in community resources to assist with the school. So those teachers are no longer going to be spending all of their time coming up with strategies that more than likely is not going to be able to impact that student. Their goal is going to be you maintain that relationship, you're doing what you can do, and in particular if classroom teachers talk about level one and level two students, they get huge impacts. Oftentimes what happens is when teachers do talk about students, they all talk about level three students. They end up feeling discouraged. They end up feeling that they're not making a difference and they miss the level ones and level two kids because this is where their conversations were. So when you talk about those eight strategies, I pull those three out because it's an example of how they feed each other. So I time feeds a block meeting, block meeting feeds risk review. And then subsequently it comes right back down. Risk review tells block meetings what's happening and block meetings informs how I'm gonna interact with you in the classroom. So that interlocking component is really a critical one. And from what you've described, this is a very, you know, there's a lot of like, if this, then you do this and then you do this. You know, there's these very action plan Mm -hmm. items which once trained I would imagine would be relatively easy to follow if you stick with that plan you know that proven plan 
It, it does. It's, it's highly based on, you know, continuous improvement, as you can yeah. imagine. It's incredibly empowering for teachers because mm. teachers are the ones who come up with the solutions. The only piece is if it doesn't yield anything within two weeks, you have to try something else. Mm. So it, you know, yes, we have a list of suggested interventions, but we really push for the community to come up with it because we believe strongly in local context. We believe strongly that the adults in the building know their kids best and their community best. Mm. So the, the issue is you have to first have a shared understanding of we've got an issue. So now we've got this multi, you know, we, yep, we've got a problem. We all agree on it. And we're going to come up with a solution. And so, and then you got a, a limited time to say, did that solution work? And, you know, what also it helps with is oftentimes teachers say, well, I'm going to call home. And what we would push for, okay, well, that's not an intervention. That would be a way to get more information or have a partnership. But why are you calling home? You know, versus I'm going to call home. That's, you know, that's like, okay, well, what, what are we hoping that's going to yield, right. you know, in terms of, of that, you know, that piece. And so how do we really make sure that the work that we're doing is both strength-based and efficient, and we are able to collaborate as a, as a school? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the bar model was implemented um, in just a few schools when it began, of course. So in 2021, I understand that you will be expanded into 250 schools. Mm -hmm. uh, this expansion has been possible in part because of support from the Department of Education investing in Innovation Fund. Why do you think the bar model has been effective in so many schools with different and unique circumstances? Because we know that schools are very different and communities are very different. What's been the effectiveness across all this uniqueness? Well, when we even back up to kind of the bar model and the testing it, I said, I want to go to any place people think this won't work. Because as an educator, separate from cost, we cannot use teachers' goodwill to do something unless it's evidence-based. So I want to be able to, you know, go to big bureaucratic districts. So we're in Boston, we're in Baltimore, we're in Dallas, but we're also in rural areas and, you know, Appalachia. And we are, you know, we're in 17 states in D.C. So that footprint was intentional because part of this research was we wanted to be able to know, does this model work kind of regardless? So back to your point is, it does. Now, why do I think that that makes sense? I really believe it is because it originated within a school. Mm -hmm. I think it relies on the expertise of the teachers. It also really kind of syncs up with why educators chose this profession. And I think it's incredibly liberating. So like last week, we just had a virtual celebration of over 80 schools came in and were sharing the things that they were most proud of. And they're incredibly proud of, as a team, how many students are being successful. So I think before, as a teacher, sometimes you would have a you know individual win where you're like, I worked really hard and this kid pulled through. But now the fact that I am doing this as a team is incredibly liberating. That A, I don't have that pressure alone, you know, to be able to have to problem solve this. But also when the student is succeeding, it is a shared, you know, kind of um, celebration. We're like, mm -hmm. this is really working. So, like, why do I think it's, you know, continuing to work is I think it really taps in to those um, intrinsic educator, you know, values and puts a system in place. I, I often, you know, look many of the things I'm sure people really push in that leveling system to be very candid. I lifted from the medical model and emergency rooms, partly because when I was a high school counselor, I, my desk would be populated with names and it'd be like, you know, see Rob, you know, see, see all these different people. Well, I had no idea if Rob forgot his lunch 
or if it's unsafe for Rob to go home or, you know, what's going on because schools, you have, they had no way to be able to have an efficient system. So that leveling system really was an ability to let's actually, we have thousands of students or, you know, you know, and how do we talk about them? And if I am saying they're a level one, Someone else can push back, but I've got a system to at least be able to respond to, to be able to say, is this a one-person intervention? Is this a team intervention? Do we need community resources? Because that's a way to kind of move that conversation. So present circumstances considered, at this point, students and staff across the country have been home for many numerous weeks due to the pandemic circumstances. It's uncertain what will happen in the fall um, across the country in various states and counties as far as the ability to return to school buildings or conducting online learning. How can relationships be built and maintained, not, maybe not in spite of, but um, considering the methods that then end up becoming used for education, whether it be in person or some combination of online, you know, some hybrid version or fully online? How do those relationships continue in that circumstance? Yeah. Well, I think what distance learning did was really solidify something that we already knew, which is that schools are not just educational spaces. Mm -hmm. So you know, I often talk about schools being both heart and head. So the head part you can do in packets and you can do in exchanges. I think one of the, the, the difficulties schools all of a sudden felt was this relationship piece where it's like it was so much easier when you had, you know, the phys physical proximity of others. And right. now when you intentionally be brokering those um, relationships, I think that's what creativity started to roll up. I think the other piece that was really unique is I think it became a heightened level of awareness where it's like now we know that we can't take this for granted, this idea of relationships. What we did is, so um, when we talk about our schools having relationships, our schools together also have relationships. So we host professional learning communities every week where all 170 schools can participate. And we had an exponential increase in our, in our school participation. Mm -hmm. And our schools were sharing strategies on how are you building relationships with families virtually? How are you building relationships with staff virtually? How are you building relationships with students virtually? So as we're learning things that, you know, this is a great idea in Boston, you know, how can we get that out you know, immediately with 100,000 students versus trying to have each person learn that? And I will say that that was incredibly inspiring. I think the other thing that happened when we went to distance learning, having the anchors of relationships and data was incredibly stabilizing. So most of the schools right before they went to um, distance learning, they took their spreadsheets that they've been using and they're like, we're gonna monitor, is the student still in a relationship with the school? So do we have any connectivity? And we're gonna monitor data. Are they doing things? Are we seeing data? Based on those two anchors, we're gonna be able to assess and we're still gonna be having this leveling system of zero to three. Even from that, we had some schools that were particularly hit with COVID very heavily. So we put in a level four for this crisis time to say, if anybody's experiencing hospitalization of either the student or a family member, let's put them at a level four and make sure there's three check-ins a week from the school to see, do you need groceries? Do you need transportation? You know, what do we need? Mm -hmm. But having those systems in place really, um, I think, helped navigate that, as well as, to your point, made sure that we're keeping relationships really kind of a top of mind. Mm -hmm. And I do want to share, by the way, too, we have a school in Pennsylvania, Harrisburg, 
that we just started working with okay. and I actually had reached out with them and they provided me some language. So they had said when our school shut down in the midst of the COVID pandemic, everything was in limbo. That being said, our bar coordinator stepped up right away and provided the structure and the stability. They ha we had supports with PCs, we had supports with other schools, so we were able to seamlessly transition to virtual team meetings. So we still were meeting as a team and were able to keep those relationships in place with our staff as we were making sure that our students were feeling cared about. They're now planning for their second year, because they've just started, and they really appreciate that BAR allows them to dream big and also be able to access other schools as they're growing kind of in this work. So they're really excited and they said that we can't wait to see our, our students thrive. But I wanted to make sure that I, I gave yeah, a highlight to, to Harrodsburg. It's an awesome story related to Pennsylvania. I'm happy to hear that. Yes. So you've kind of filled in some of this for me, but is there any, as an educator yourself, um, do you have any additional you know, tips or advice beyond what you've already expressed to give teachers who are trying to stay connected with their students as they learn from home. Any kind of tips and tactics to employ? Yeah, I, I do. I think one of the kind of key pieces is, you know, just making that we're recognizing that the social emotional health of our students and our adults is really critical at the same time we're looking at academics. So especially when we go back next fall, I know there's a bit of a conversation of, do we focus on academics or do we focus on, you know, those wraparound mental health supports? And I believe strongly, it has to be both and they both feed each other. Because if the students are doing well, their mental health potentially is going to feel stronger. And if their mental health is stronger, their academics are gonna be stronger. So I think in general, I don't, I hope we don't get into a which one should we do and how do they integrate, which I also will say is what BAR is. BAR is an SEL approach. We're about relationships and data and our outcomes are math and reading. So how do we make sure that that really stays kind of top of mind? I think the other kind of key piece is making sure that we're having learning be accessible. So, you know, so how do we make sure that that we're in, engaging families when we can be engaging families. We are getting creative in terms of kind of our, our reaches out. Um, and I think the other piece is like, how do we engage other students to be able to be supportive? I have a, another quick story from one of our schools in, in Florida, really large school. They went to distance learning and out of their 1800 students, they were like missing 350. They had no contact with 350. Yikes. Absolutely. So they then, turned to their students that they had formed relationships with and they had done bar for a year and so they were reaching out to you know i'm like reaching out to gail to say gail i haven't heard from hannah in a long time could you have hannah reach out to me so by the second week afterwards they were down to 250 kids that were missing well bottom line is after three weeks there was only one student they were not in contact with and the reason that that happened was the school's utilization of their peers and the peers being able to say and know that the adults are caring about them saying hey they're, they really want to hear from you. Just like, you know, and many of the kids had burner phones and, you know, were insecure housing. But those, that school has been able to stay in weekly contact with those students to make sure that they, are, that they are safe and that they know that they're cared about by maintaining those relationships in a variety of ways. So I just kind of keep going back to relationships in any way we need to utilize them. Yeah, even involving the student relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So for listeners and school leaders and educators, how can they learn more about the BAR model or how can they get in touch with you or the appropriate contact to find out more? Yes, so we have a website and join our mailing list and our website is barrcenter, that's B-A-R-R -R center.org. 
and social media. We're at, at Bar Center on Twitter as well as Facebook. Awesome. Thank you so much for all of this. I know there's so much more that we could go into, but I certainly appreciate what you've shared today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Keystone Education Radio is a production of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. This episode is brought to you in part by HHSDR Architects, Engineers, and One Group Risk Management and Insurance. Visit our website at keyedradio.org for more information on today's discussion and for past episodes covering a range of education topics. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media. This is Annette Stevenson saying thank you for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.